morning. It is my um, belief, my sense, that most people uh, in our community, our culture, our society, believe that their surroundings, their circumstances, my circumstances, are more decisive in their life and how their life goes than God is in their life and how their life goes. And that is not, sadly, as a pastor, just true, I would say, for people in general, right, the, the larger culture. I think it's also true for many people who are Christians, people who, maybe like some of us, um, have our personal relationship with God, feel that God is in our, life, in our lives, and, and we walk with him and we follow him. And when that is true of Christians like you and me, it creates a, a, a rather powerless church and a very uncompelling witness uh, to the message of the gospel. But I would suggest to you that that is not the life that is reflected in uh, what God offers us in a relationship with Jesus. This series that we're starting today, as Rebecca mentioned, Life on Purpose, is going to be about the nature and possibilities of the life of faith, right? The nature and possibilities of the life of faith. But keep in mind, just because someone is a Christian doesn't mean that the promises of the Christian life are realized in your life. There's a, there's a verse, it's uh, quoted in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says this, he says, not all Israel is Israel. And it's just a shorthand way, his shorthand way of saying as he's writing the New Testament, not everybody who has the label or the name necessarily is reflective of the truth, right? Not all Israel is Israel, and that could be said of a lot of Christians, people like you and people like me. But as we look into this series, Life on Purpose, my, my big idea here is that the Life of faith is an invitation for all of us to take to go on an adventure with God and to go on that adventure with God is the heart of what it means to live life on purpose. Now we're going to do that in this six weeks. As Rebecca said, I hope you're going to come back here, especially if you are new with us this morning for these six weeks. You've got you to see the whole movie to experience this journey. But it's going to be in three chapters in the scriptures. In Matthew Gospel, which we've been studying as a congregation over the last year or so. Matthew chapter 13, excuse me, 14, 15, and 16. So that's where we're going to be for six weeks. And this morning, though, to begin this series, it's going to be on the, one of the most well-known, perhaps the most well-known story in all of the Gospels, the story of the loaves and the fishes. And this story the feeding of the 5,000, is the only miracle of Jesus. And there are many miracles of Jesus in the Gospels. It's the only one that's in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It is the shorthand for the Christian faith, as many of us know. And I think it's for a very important reason. Right? It's the heart of what I want to say this morning. And it's telling us something by elevating. And that is this, that... The purpose in life 
is not found by looking within ourselves, right? That's what the world says. You want to find out what your purpose is? You know, look inside and see what you find. But purpose in life is not found by looking within ourselves. It's found by looking beyond ourselves to God and to what God is doing in the world. So whether you are a you know, long-time churchgoer, or you're brand new to the message, I invite you to join us and join me as we go on this journey together uh, beginning this morning. The first message, as I said, we're in Matthew chapter 14. You have a copy of the Bible. You can open up, turn it on. Feel free to use those uh, that are right in front of you. If you're new, grab one, open it up. Matthew chapter 14. We'll read this famous miracle story, verses 13 through 21 in a message titled, The Object of Faith. Matthew 14, verses 13 through 21. Follow along as I read. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by a boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 besides women and children. Now it says in this opening um, verse... When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew to a solitary place. What had happened in the previous verses was that a close friend of Jesus had died, uh, actually had been murdered, his cousin. And Jesus wanted to get away. He withdrew privately to a solitary place. He did what a lot of us would do when you experience a serious loss, right? Jesus, a couple things. Jesus had friends, and Jesus also had feelings. And Jesus knew what it was to grieve. And perhaps it's important for us, some of you know, in this congregation, just in the last uh, uh, recent weeks, we've lost two young people, right? And I want you to know if you are a part of that close family or families, that God knows what it means to lose someone, and he knows what it means to grieve. But Jesus does something here that tells us a lot about who God is in this famous story. Hearing of this, that is that Jesus got into a boat and went to a solitary place. The crowds followed him from on foot from the towns. Now, if you know anything about, you know, if in the back of your Bible, Jesus spent most of his ministry, right, in the beginning, where we are in the middle. 
up in Galilee, not in Jerusalem. Galilee was a rural environment. Galilee, think of, you know, uh, the Sea of Galilee is, you know, not Lake Ontario, certainly not, you know, the Pacific Ocean. Think, you know, Canandaigua Lake. And most of the activity, most of the disciples were just up from the tip of that lake. And when Jesus gets into a boat, right, all of these people, you know, there was a social network before Twitter, okay? And people just started to tell each other. And as Jesus went from one side of the lake to the other, as they watched him, because he'd already been performing miracles, he'd already been teaching, the Sermon on the Mount had already happened, people began to leave their homes and they followed him until he got to that remote place so he could grieve. But when he got there, by the time he got there and got out of the boat, there were not 5,000 people there adding women and children, probably 10 or 20,000 people there. But let me tell you what Jesus doesn't do. He doesn't do what I would do, right? He didn't turn his cell phone off, right? He wasn't uh, upset or mad because of the interruption. Jesus shelved his own plans. He held on to his own grief, which was very real, and his heart went out to the other people who were there instead. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, they beat him there. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, this famous um, miracle, right? The, 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 this passage is famous because of the, the, the feeding miracle. We didn't even get to that yet, okay? But I think this is here, this opening story about Jesus and healing people because it wants to tell us something before we get to us, right? Purpose in life. Before we get to the disciples, right? There's where we find our intersect when Jesus gives them a challenge, right? But before we get there, we're going to learn something here about God. It starts with God and it's going to tell us something very important, this passage, about God, about what he cares about and what his larger purposes are, right? He had compassion on them and wanted to heal their sick. Now, the word sick in this passage, it's used 55 times in the New Testament. But as some of you would know if you're working other languages, right, there's more than one word in Greek or in any language that can be translated in another. 55 times. This particular word here, used in Matthew 14, verses 14, is only used by Matthew only here. He chooses one word, and that word, the underlying Greek word, actually means wretched ones, right? Unhappy ones, unfortunate ones. It's in another one of these stories, it says, Jesus looked upon people as if they were sheep without a shepherd. Jesus did not come. What's the point in the one miracle that's only in all four of the Gospels? I don't know that Matthew knew that or Mark knew that or Luke knew that or John knew that as they wrote their Gospels, but God knew that, right? Jesus did not come to save our bodies, right? If he did, he's not done a very good job in 2,000 years. Jesus did not come to advance our careers, right? Jesus came to save our souls, from sin and alienation that every person from every background carries 
within them in this life. Okay? Living on purpose begins with spiritual healing. And just like sick people, physically sick people, the only thing physically sick people bring to the table is, they, is their sickness. They need help, right? Jesus had compassion on them and healed their sick. And imagine what this is like, okay? Thousands of people, maybe 15,000 people, men, women, and children. Listen, if I just took the people in this room right here, right? And I said, I'm a miracle worker. I'm just for a minute, believe that I could do that. Just people that showed up here dressed up nice in this nice suburban community, not in some rural town, not in a place where we have great medical care. If I was a miracle worker, I would probably be here for hours if I could actually you know, heal people of their diseases just in this room. Imagine what that was like when Jesus did that for 15 or 20 thousand people right the wretched ones spiritual he- life on purpose living on purpose begins with spiritual he- healing we don't bring anything to the table when it comes to spiritual healing we, it's not about answering hard questions it's not about getting your act together it's about opening your heart Humbly and honestly and being willing to receive the grace that God offers you and that offers me in Jesus Christ. Yet to all who received him, to them who believed in his name, right? He gave the power to become the sons and daughters of God, right? This is where life on purpose begins, right? This is where life on purpose begins. And until you've received that and had that experience, let me tell you something, your life will not make sense and nothing else will give you the freedom that you long for, the freedom that you need. Life, living on purpose begins with spiritual healing. Second to this great story, God wants to do something through you, not just for you, okay? Listen carefully, because many of you have heard this story before, that is the feeding of the 5,000. What is this story really about? God wants to do something through you, not just for you. Let me tell you one of the great misconceptions about the Christian faith, and I think it's one of the reasons that a lot of people, maybe some of us are visiting today, or maybe our friends who say no thank you to an invitation to have a conversation or to come to church, they think this, that the Christian message is primarily about, you know, um, God, the forgiveness of sin, in a sense, or God doing something to fix your life. And of course those things are included, right? But it's in a sense that we have this vision, or people do, that the Christian message is essentially, it's kind of like a handout. Right? Imagine you're you're you know you're somewhere and there's a group of people and it's like you know you're getting you know you're in one of those you know uh, uh, you know uh, crisis situations and people are reaching their hand out you know for that for that for that meal or for that for that money you know and this is what the Christian life is it's it's a handout for people who are in need okay and many people don't respond to it because of their pride and their sense that they don't need anything okay. But that's a misconception about the Christian faith. 
the great story that God is telling in the scriptures is actually not about us. It's about him and what he's doing in the world. And one of the most amazing things about the Christian message, I think the, 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 the most beautiful thing about the Christian message is it's not God's love for us, which is central, of course. But I think most people would believe, if you have some sense of who God is, if I said to you, listen, God loves you, you'd say, that makes sense, Right? That God, the creator of the world, loves you. The, scripture, the Christian uh, scriptures, uh, that God, the God behind them loves you. But the most amazing thing about the gospel is not that God loves you, but that God wants to use you as an agent in what he is doing in the world. And it is this work, this agency which is not your career, and it is not your family, although often it is expressed through those, is where you will find true purpose in your life. Now watch this. When Jesus does this, the most famous of the miracles, he doesn't do this miracle with the disciples, that is, in their presence, which is all the previous ones had happened, right? For all the previous miracles... Right? The, the, the disciples were the, you know, they were the helpers of Jesus, right? They, 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 they picked up this and they, and they put out the flyers and they created the nice environment. They did whatever Jesus needed to do and they were amazed by the miracles. But that's not the one case here. Jesus doesn't do it with the disciples. He does it through them, right? Evening approached because it took an awful long time to heal thousands of people. And the disciples say, listen, Jesus, we're in a remote place. It's getting late. And we, remember, we're not close to the towns because you were coming here. You were going to a remote place because you really came here because you wanted some solace, some solitude. But all these people came out here because they, were, they wanted to be with you. But now it's getting late and people are getting hungry. And we need to send them home. And Jesus said, they do not need to go away. You feed them, right? You give them something to eat. It's, I want to perform the miracle, but I want to do it through you, right? God not only wants to do something. God wants to do something through you, not just for you, right? This is the heart of the Christian message. This is the heart of what it means to live on purpose. See, many of us are Christians, We've received God's grace, and that's, that's foundational. Living on purpose begins with spiritual healing. You got nothing. I can go nowhere without that, but that's not where it ends. That just gets you and me in a place where we can actually begin to do what it is God has called us to do, right? Let me ask you a question, thinking of this passage. What's the hardest thing God has ever asked you to do? Right? What's the hardest thing God has ever asked you to do? And by the way, that's not just for Christians, right? I don't think Christians are the only people that believe in God, okay? But what's the hardest thing that God has ever asked you to do? And as you think about that, let me ask you another question. How did it make you feel, right, when God asked you to do this or that hard thing? Because I think that's where we're supposed to find our ourselves in this passage they do not need to go away you give them something to eat about a year ago this time I got a word from God okay uh, and that word from God was not something that I expected not something that I I certainly would have 
thought up myself, but I felt it was a directive I got from God. It had to do with a guy who I'd gotten to know, a street person, for some many months who had become just someone I knew and talked with and you know, bought some meals with and did a, and, and some clothes for this and that. But after that time, my, this word from God came to me and said, Rob, I think you should invite this man um, who lives on the street to come and live with you. Okay. Now, when I say I got a word from God, I don't mean I heard it in the shower or <laughs> I, I got it you know, through my uh, uh, car radio. But it was very much, I feel, a word from God. And I sensed it was from God because it was, I couldn't shake it. And as I came and I prayed about it and tried to say, this is not a very smart thing to do. This is a not a wise thing to do. There's a lot of reasons why I can't do this. It continued to persist even as I read his word. And so I finally decided that I was going to do it even though I had no idea how this would work out and all the things that might, challenges that might come along with it. Now, after a week of thinking about it, this man uh, turned me down, okay? And he did find another place uh, after some months. But I tell you that story, okay? Because it's really about the challenge. And in that week or that day that I thought about it, that he thought about it, I can tell you this. I experienced a kind of joy in that surrender that no achievement, no pleasure seeking, no other thing in my life could bring, okay? God not only wants to, God wants to do something through you, not just for you. That's what this passage is about, Okay? Yes, it begins with spiritual healing, but then it begins with a kind of faith, a kind of trust, a kind of adventure that you and I need to say yes to um, more in our lives. I read a book recently, and this author was talking about this idea of a life metaphor. I don't know if you've ever heard this concept. And what he means by that is, how do you see your life? How do people see their lives? If you ask them, tell me, how do you see your life? Or, or, you know, what do you expect out of life? And what he means by a life metaphor is you ask people, people will say things like this. I, to me, life is, you know, it's a minefield, right? So they're telling you their life metaphor. Life is a minefield. Or life is a journey. Or some people would say, life is a contest, Right? You know, the, the old cliche, he who has the most toys wins. Life is a contest. It's about, you know, it's, it's about what I can accumulate, what can I achieve. Some would say life is a party. But whatever your life metaphor is, right, whether you know it or not or I know it or not, we often express it through the clothes that we wear. We express it through the, the cars that we drive, maybe through our tattoos. If you have one, I don't yet. Anyway, but... Uh, Whatever the case may be. But you know the Bible, this is what this author said. The Bible actually um, answers this question. What is your life metaphor? And it says it in three ways. It is a test, it is a trust, and it is an adventure. That's what this author said. To walk with God... God wants to do something through you, not just for you. What it means to have purpose on life... 
On the other side of spiritual healing is it's a test, it's a trust, and it's an adventure. And I would say in this passage, this is why I think this is the most well-known miracle of Jesus. All three of those are here, right? It's a test, it's a trust, and it's an adventure. In John's version of this, I told you it's in all four of the Gospels, he says this, you feed them. And they say, well, listen, Lord, all we have, right? Verse 17, we only have here five loaves and two fishes. But it says this, Jesus already knew what he was going to do. See, it's a test, it's a trust, and it's an adventure. But what happens to many of us, which is what happened to the disciples, verse 17, is we get into the I, uh, you know, the the I only defense, right? The only, the, the I only defense means, you know, if I were only uh, more gifted, if I were only better looking, if I were only better resourced, if I were only, you know, had this and that that other people, if, I, if only, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered, what will they be among so many? See, most of us, are not living life on purpose, Christian or non-Christian, because of the if-onlys. One writer that I admire said this. Listen to this quote. We don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. Okay? This is the problem. The number one problem of why many of us have not realized our, our potential, why we're not living life on purpose, so to speak. We don't see things as they are. We see things as we are, right? In the challenge, in the test, in the trust, in the adventure is to see them differently. Listen, on the other side of spiritual healing, life is a test, life is a trust, and life is an adventure if you, if I know where to go with it, right? Living on purpose means, the end of this great story, putting your life in God's hands, okay? I believe, verse 18, the five words that begin verse 18 are the reason this story is here. And maybe they're the most five most important words in all of the New Testament when it comes to living on purpose, when it comes to whether or not, not all Israel is Israel, right? Whether it comes to whether or not you're just a Christian, you know, sort of in brand, or whether or not you're a Christian in reality. And it's this. Is God going to give you challenges that are far beyond your capacity, that you would never have dreamed up, that are, that are way beyond your resources? Of course he is. But he's not doing that to shame you. He's not doing that so you don't feel good about yourself. He's not doing that so he can listen to all of your and my if-onlys. He does that because he already knows what he's going to do if you know how to Deal with the challenge. Bring them here to me. Right? This is the secret. You want to know the secret of the Christian life? I'm not talking about going to heaven when you die. That's the death of Jesus, spiritual healing. I'm talking about a life of purpose, a life of meaning, a life of making a difference, of truly becoming who it is that God wants you to become, wants me to become in union and in partnership with him. You've got to learn how to bring it to me, right? Think about this miracle. This is where this gets famous. I mean, the, the loaves and the fishes. But what's so amazing about this, think about it. It's almost invisible, right? 
I mean, it's so simple. This is what happens. Jesus has got all the people set up, and it says he blesses the food, he hands it to the disciples, and the disciples hand it to the people. Now think about this for a minute. I don't know if you can read this. Tell me when the miracle happens and how it happens. If something happens, if we take this at face value, but where does it happen? If, if, if there's 1,000 people here, imagine there's 20,000 people and you're in groups of 50, okay? As, as you're out there and you're watching Jesus and the disciples say a little prayer, you're, that's nothing that's unusual. By the time, you know, uh, John or, or Matthew or, 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 or James or John, by the time they reach you with their little basket of food, you have no idea what's going on. All you know is that people are sitting down and you're going to have a meal together. No one saw the miracle. I'm not sure the disciples, although, you know, they're just doing what Jesus told them, actually knew what happened and how it happened until it was all over. Okay? Why is that? Why is the the, the most famous miracle of all the miracles of Jesus almost invisible? I'll tell you why. Because that's how it happens in our lives, right? One challenge at a time, one day at a time. Bring them here to me means in prayer and in active obedience, you bring everything you have, however insignificant it might be, right, to Jesus. And God says, listen, you're getting the word from God, this is what I want you to do. Maybe it's a challenge in your marriage. Maybe it's a challenge in your, in your relationship with your children. Maybe it's dealing with a grief. Maybe it's a crisis in your career. Maybe God's saying, listen, this is what I've been wanting you to do and calling you to do for years, right? Don't send them away. You feed them. But I already know what I'm going to do, right? Bring them here to Jesus. So we're going to end this opening um, talk by sharing in communion together. I'll ask our ushers to prepare themselves. But let me, let me challenge you before we take this together, okay? Let me start with those of you in this room who are Christians, many of us, okay? How do you apply this message as we come to this table, right? Bring them here to me. I want you to think about the question. What's the hardest thing God ever asked you to do, right? Or maybe the hard thing that God's asking you to do right now. Maybe it has to do with your hopes. Maybe it has to do with your sins that you can't shake. Maybe it has to do with your cha- some challenge or maybe it has to do with your dream or some dream that God may have given you, right? My challenge to you as we prepare for this, okay, together Use these, you know, minute or two or three or five in prayer, right? And do what this passage is calling you to do. Let go of the if-onlys. Quit making excuses and realize it's not, it's not about you. It's about God and what he's doing in the world. What he's saying is, listen, friend, I gave you this big thing. I gave you this impossible thing so that you could bring it to me. And together, we could do something beyond um, your wildage imagination, okay? He can do immeasurably more than you ask or imagine because of the power that is at work within you, right? That's what we're saying. Now, 
That's what I would say. Use these minutes. As we begin this series, as we end this sermon, as we end this church service, bring it here to me, right? Offer it to God, and then you'll take this table in gratitude as you um, partner with God in a new way. Now, if you are not a Christian in this room, right? Back to this question. What's the hardest thing God ever asked you to do? Let me tell you what it might be. To believe, right? Because in a world that's, you, you still believe that your surroundings are more decisive in your life than God is, right? That the, 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 the crazy world, the difficult economy, the, the, the hard relationships, all of the, the, the things that have, the grief that you have suffered, right? Seems like God doesn't care. Let me tell you something. He does. And the hardest thing for you to do, the hardest thing that God's ever asked you to do is to believe. But if you open your heart, as many in this room have done as I did, some 30 some years ago if anyone didn't if there was ever a person I'm certainly in the in in that community of people who certainly did not expect or deserve or have earned or come anywhere close to receiving God's love and forgiveness it was this guy right here but I came to a place and realized it's not about me it's about what he has done and Jesus Christ is putting down his agenda and he turns in compassion to you and to me. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. To as many as received him, believed. That's the hardest thing. But if you're willing to do that, let these elements pass you and receive what they represent. His sacrifice for your sin. Just call out in the quiet of your own heart and say, God, forgive me. I offer you what I have today, which is my sins and my life. I'm bringing it to you. And if you do that in simple faith, let me tell you something. He'll take it and he'll give you in exchange his, the Holy Spirit of God. He will give you the righteousness of Jesus Christ and then you're off to the races. Amen? So we're going to hand this out we both have our, all have our assignments. Just take a few minutes and quiet, and then we'll share in these elements together in just a few minutes. God and Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here in this room. I thank you for every person here. And as we sit in quiet for these two, three, four minutes, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that every person in this room would get a word from God that would say, bring that here to me. Or bring your sins to me. Lord, help us all to bring what we have to you and to transact between heaven and earth right here in this room right now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.